Welcome to Sojourn. Glad to gather with you on this July 4th weekend. Uh, If you're a guest here, maybe you're in town visiting a friend or family or something of that nature. Maybe you're just trying to check out uh, churches or who Jesus is, wherever you find yourself this morning. If this is your first time here, uh, we're grateful that God brought you to gather with us this morning. We'd love to be able to meet you after the service. Uh, I don't know if I said my name already. My name is Justin, so come up and say hi to me uh, after the service. Uh, and we'd love to chat with you and help you get connected here if you're looking for a place to connect. We want this to be a welcoming family, a welcoming community where we really walk with one another in life, encourage one another, help one another, uh, challenge one another to walk faithfully with Jesus. So grateful to gather together this morning. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews as we have been over the last few months. So if you need a copy of the Bible this morning, if you just raise your hand, a couple of guys will bring a Bible to you uh, so that you can read along with us this morning out of the book of Hebrews. And if you don't actually own a Bible, we'd love for you to take that home. That's a gift to you uh, so that you can read God's Word all throughout the week. Uh, and if you take it home, maybe you have a friend or a, a coworker, a family member that doesn't have a Bible. Feel free to take that with you so you can pass it off to them as well. We want, to, want everyone to have access to, uh, to God's Word. But as we begin our time each week, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to bless this time. Father, we come before you this morning, and a a line from a hymn comes to mind to me this morning. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Lord, we, we come this morning, whether we realize it or not, we have nothing in our hands. Nothing that we can bring before you. Nothing that we're able to bring before you. Nothing that you ask us to bring before you. You just invite us to yourself. And you invite us to yourself because of what Christ has done for us. That the sin that separated us from you, that that chasm that's been created because of our rebellion against you, Christ has made a way. That we can be in relationship with you. And we thank you that it's through your word that we understand that. It's through your word that we understand more of who you are. It's through your word that we understand who we are in our desperate need for your grace. And so this morning, Father, we come before you empty-handed, clinging to the cross, desperate for you. And if that desperation doesn't exist in someone's heart here this morning, I pray that you'd create it so we might recognize that we are not okay on our own, that we need you. As we sang this morning, Lord, I need you. May that be a reality, a prayer that's true of our hearts and our minds, that we understand how much we need you. So Lord, as we open up your word now, as I preach your word now, I pray that your Holy Spirit would use your living and active word to penetrate our hearts. to, To not just fill our mind with more information, but to transform our lives your word is a gift to us, because your Holy Spirit uses it to bring about change, to bring us closer to you. And so Lord, we come with open hands and open hearts and open minds, and I pray we'd have open ears and open lives to receive what you have for us today. May this be just a a holy moment, even as I stand here recognizing this is kind of a, a, a holy ground, a a place to stand before your people and proclaim your word. Lord, I'm not worthy to do that. So Lord, I pray that you would work in and through me, that I would decrease and that Jesus might increase this morning. 
Lord, draw us into your presence. Help us experience your power this morning. And may we leave with just a, a deep joy in Christ today. We give this time to you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, to begin our time together this morning, let's do a little audience participation, okay? All right. You're already participating. There we go. We already got a participant. <laughs> How many of you are firstborns? All right. <laughs> How many of you have older siblings? Maybe some of you, maybe it's the only child. So older siblings. Okay, it's about half and half. Well, if you're a firstborn, you were kind of the guinea pig for your family, right? Like your parents are trying to figure out how to be a parent with you, which is kind of scary when you think about it. If you think back, like you don't actually know what you're doing. There's no manual that comes with the baby when you leave the hospital. So they're kind of trying to figure stuff out with you, learning how to parent. And then if you have siblings, if you have younger siblings, they're always watching you, maybe trying to figure out what not to do uh, so that they, oh, I don't want to make those same mistakes. Or they're just watching you, following you around because they want to be like you. They, they want to do what you're doing. They want to wear the same kind of clothes that you're wearing. They want to do the same kind of activities that you're doing. They want to hang out with you and your friends. Essentially, be older than they are. And in those moments of growing up, when that happens, most of the time, my guess is, is if you're an older sibling or firstborn, that that was more annoying than it was flattering for you. Now, if you're a younger sibling, you're like, yeah, that's part of the job description. I got that. I know that's what I was supposed to do was follow around and frustrate and annoy my older siblings. You know, it's interesting to me that when we're younger, we always want to be older than we are. But when we actually get to be a little bit older, we wish we were younger and had less responsibility again. So interesting that that happens. And in a somewhat more scientific way, studies have shown that in the last two decades, there's been a drastic increase in young people delaying truly entering into adulthood. It's been called delayed adulthood or prolonged adolescence. Now, some people see this as a good thing. It promotes curiosity, further brain development. Others see it as a troubling thing, a serious issue in our culture, and affects our economy in a significant way. Well, as we come to our text today, what we see the author of Hebrews addressing is an issue within the church that he's writing to, and it's something that we need to pay attention to as well. Because the reality is what he's addressing is some, if not all, of his audience that he's writing to are not developing into spiritual adulthood. They're not developing into it like they should be. But instead, what's actually happening is they're regressing to spiritual childishness. And so you and I need to heed this warning as we find ourselves in the same place, tempted to regress instead of progress forward to maturity in Christ, to move forward to maturity in Christ in a world that is set against Jesus and his kingdom. And so my hope today, as we walk through these few verses, that we'll be challenged to see that if you and I don't move from milk to maturity, then we will die. And that God has given us the means of grace. He's given us gifts to help that not to happen in our lives. So no matter where you find yourself this morning, I hope that we can open up our minds and our hearts to receive what God would have for us so he might continue to move us along our spiritual journey as we seek to walk with Jesus. So let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5 this morning and dive into God's Word. Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 5 verses 11 through chapter 6 verse 3 this morning. This is God's Word to you and to me today. 
about this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone else to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. The last two weeks, we've looked at this reality that Jesus is our faithful high priest and our suffering shepherd. Jesus is the one who hears and heals, who gives hope and endurance, who understands and saves. And Jesus invites you and me to confidently come to him frequently and honestly. But as we come to our text today, the author takes a bit of a detour. It's kind of like a a musical interlude, kind of sandwiched in between two major movements of the book of Hebrews. And he pauses here from talking about who Jesus is and all the wonderful things about who Christ is to pastor us. And, And what we see is, with that comes the beginning of this third major warning in the book of Hebrews. We said over time that, as we've walked through this series, there's five major warning times or passages in the book of Hebrews. This is the third one, the beginning of it. And that warning, these warnings consistently are calling us to something. They're calling us to hold fast to Jesus, to hold fast to him and not be drawn away by the things of the world. And so I have four points this morning for our sermon. Malaise, milk, maturity, and movement. Malaise, milk, maturity, and movement. So let's jump into our first point, malaise. We see this in verse 11. The author says, we have much to say about this. About what? Well, he's just been talking about who Jesus is, that Jesus is a a better high priest, that Jesus is a forever high priest, that Jesus is a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. But he's saying, listen, before we go there, I need to address something else first. Because the reality is, you've become dull of hearing. You've become dull of hearing. Dull means sluggish. And so they're essentially sluggish in their hearing. They're sluggish in their minds. And so we're thinking kind of antonym of that. The the opposite of that is that they are not earnest. They're not diligent. They're not seeking to pursue more of who Christ is. They become dull of hearing. Now this is not a natural dullness. This isn't some intellectual deficiency that they have going on. This is just about spiritually being lazy. They've decided not to move forward. They've become sluggish. And really, they've become unreceptive to the gospel and its implications for their lives. They're okay with where they're at, and even okay stepping back, a few, taking a few steps back. They've experienced a malaise. Now, what is a malaise? There's a couple of definitions for us. It's an indefinite feeling of debility or lack of health often indicative of or accompanying the onset of an illness. 
Malaise is a vague sense of mental or moral ill-being, an unfocused feeling of mental uneasiness, being lethargic or having discomfort. So spiritually, this group of people that the author is writing to is lacking spiritual health. They're unfocused, they're lethargic, they're uncomfortable. They're experiencing challenges when it comes to following Jesus. They have people all around them that are pressing on them, that are persecuting them, that are ridiculing them because of their faith. They're living in a world that's not wanting to follow Jesus, and so there's temptations to walk away from him or not pay quite as much attention to him. And so they're experiencing this this second guessing of their life with Christ. They're experiencing this desire to shrink back from what Jesus is calling them to. And all of us can become dull of hearing. All of us can experience a spiritual malaise. Maybe you're feeling that way this morning. Maybe it looks like apathy in your life. Maybe you're struggling with sin in your life, a particular sin struggle in your life that you've just come to a place where you really don't care that much about it anymore. Maybe, and I guess as for most of us, there's just those moments where we're struggling with unbelief. Is God good? Does he really exist? Is it really worth it to follow after him? Because the reality is, following Jesus can be hard in a world that is set against him. It can be hard. Because there are aspects of your old life. There are calls and temptations of the world to, to lure us back, to lure us away from following Jesus. And all the while promising ease and comfort and freedom. And when following Jesus gets hard, when following Jesus requires something of you, the temptation is great to set Jesus on the shelf. There's more of a figure in your life, but not the Lord of your life. And that's really what's going on with these Jewish Christians that the author's writing to. And the author is warning them, and he's warning us of the danger of spiritual malaise. As one scholar says, deafness and dullness and receptivity is a dangerous condition for those who have been called to radical obedience. Deafness and dullness and receptivity is a dangerous condition for those who have been called to radical obedience. And all this talk of Jesus being better so far in Hebrews, the author wants to press in. He wants to press in because it looks like it appears that maybe, perhaps, some stagnation has taken place in the lives of his audience that he's writing to. That some regression is occurring, which leads to our next point, milk. We see this in verses 12 through 13. Let me read them again for us. For though... By this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. He's giving some evidence of why he's taking time to talk about this. He's saying, look, you've been Christians for a long time. You've been claiming to follow Christ for a long time. You ought to be able to teach others now. 
He's saying, look, you, you, you're well-learned, you're well-practiced in the faith, but it, it seems that you actually need someone to teach you the basic principles of the oracles of God. And what that means is just the foundational truths of who God is. The foundational truths of who you are. The fact that we can know Him and the life He calls us to live. You need someone else to do that. It's like they need someone to give them spiritual milk instead of spiritual solid food. When we're babies, we drink milk. God's designed it that way, that we drink milk when we're babies. It's, it's simple. It's easily digestible. It doesn't require teeth or chewing. It's rich in nutrients, and it helps us to grow. And everyone starts off drinking milk. Everybody does. But no one is meant to stay only drinking milk. So spiritually speaking, we could say that milk is the the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the building blocks of the Christian life. When we're given spiritual milk, we're taught what it means to know and follow Jesus for the first time. But just like actual children, we grow, and we need more, and we want more, so that we can continue to thrive and we can continue to grow. Now, let me just say something really quick here so we don't get caught off track or get off track or caught off guard with this. Teaching others here is not about being able to preach or teach a class. So, so when you're reading this and you're thinking, well, I don't, gosh, I don't preach and I don't teach, so is this me? It might be you, but it's not because you're not doing those things. God has called certain people to preach and teach in the church, to be leaders in the church in that way, but all of us are called to be able to open up God's Word and help others to know what life with Jesus looks like. To know what it looks like for us to to know and follow Him, to make new disciples and mature existing disciples. Every follower of Jesus is called and able to do that. As we grow, we're able to help others grow. But these Jewish Christians that he's writing to don't seem to be able to do that. They don't seem to be able to chew and digest anything more than milk, more than the simple things. And if you live on milk alone, the author says you're unskilled in the word of righteousness, of embracing Jesus as your only hope in life and death, of faithfully following him you're easily led astray you're like a child when when kids are little they need guidance they need direction they're prone to wander off so saying you're like that you're like a child now let me be careful and clear here spiritual milk is not a bad thing spiritual milk is okay all new christians should start off drinking spiritual milk Understanding what it means to be a Christian, to follow Jesus in a world that does not. And so maybe that's some of you this morning. Maybe you've just become a true follower of Jesus. And I distinguish between becoming a true follower of Jesus because I know some of you grew up in the church. And so you had a lot of background maybe of who God is and who Jesus is. But maybe even the last week or the last month or the last year, you've actually come to a place of true repentance and true faith and following Jesus. And you're starting to understand those things that you heard about for a long time actually be applied to your life and live those out. That Jesus being king and Lord over your life has changed everything for you. And so spiritual milk is what you need to see those building blocks laid in your life. Maybe some of you this morning are, are, are not yet Christians. And you're learning about what it means to actually be a Christian, to actually know Jesus. 
So if you find yourself in one of those two groups of people, just know that we're glad you're here. We want to be a community that helps you grow in knowing and following Christ. We want to journey with you in that. This would be a safe and welcoming environment to allow you to understand those things, to experience His redeeming grace, believing that Jesus lived a perfect life, a life you could not live, and that He went to a cross and He died a death that you deserve to die, taking on all of your sin, paying for it in full, so that you might be forgiven and set free from your sin and your shame. At Sojourn, we want you to know Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-3, through 3, Peter addresses this. He says, So put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. He's saying, put off your old life. Leave that in the rearview mirror. And then he says this, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Like newborn infants, Jesus in John chapter 3 says that when we come to actually know him, we're born again. So when you're a newborn infant, you should long for that spiritual milk. But notice what he says here. Long for it that by it you may grow up into salvation. Milk is okay, but milk is the beginning, not all there is. Milk is okay, but that's not where the author's audience should be staying. And it's not where many of us should stay either. Now there's some irony in all of this. Because the reality is, these Jewish Christians, and most of us, don't actually need someone to teach us the basics of the faith. Like I said, if that's where you're at, that's totally fine. But most of us, if we've been walking with Jesus for a while, don't need that. We know the basics of the faith. We know the ABCs of the Christian life. The problem is, we're not living out the implications of them. See, this isn't so much about spiritual immaturity that comes from a lack of understanding, It's spiritual immaturity in that we're returning to infant-like things. Infant-like ways of living and thinking. They're choosing not to move forward. It's it's regression. Now, let me try and give you a visual of what what this is like. If you came over to my house for dinner... And we're all sitting around the table. It's summertime, so we're grilling out a lot. So we're having cheeseburgers. We got all the fixings for it. We got some fresh cut uh, watermelon on the table. My wife's mac and cheese, which is awesome. And it's all set out on the table. And we got some cold drinks. And we got the kids all around the table. And we're fixing up the burgers. And we're fixing up everything. And the food, you're spooning out the food on your plate. And then Amy comes over and in front of me sets a warm bottle. I'm 36 years old. And that's my dinner, a warm bottle. If you saw that, you'd think something's not right. Something's off. If we're eating all this amazing food and you're drinking, I'm drinking a warm bottle of milk. That's kind of what the author's trying to paint that picture here. This isn't the way it should be. Something isn't quite right with this. See, there's a difference between a childlike faith and a childish faith. Jesus calls us to have a childlike faith, to have the inquisitive nature of a child, to to trust God fully and wholly, to believe that he is good and he's able to do anything far more than we could ask or imagine, that we come to him regularly and frequently asking for those kinds of things. 
Jesus often says, what do you want? And we just, we're like children, we just say, this is what I want, Jesus. God wants us to have a childlike faith, not a childish faith. It's kind of stunted in its growth. It's not willing to move forward, to go into the deeper things of God, to see our life thrive and develop and bloom, to become mature. And sometimes that's where we find ourselves. It's where these Jewish Christians found themselves. So why are they tempted to stay in or regress to the milk stage? Why are we? The author has laid all of these amazing truths out about the reality, the fact that life with Jesus is better than life without Jesus. But there's a strong temptation for his audience, there's a strong temptation for us amidst the challenges of life to not believe that. Because when you meet Jesus, he calls you to follow him. And he calls you to follow him with your whole life. And what this does in your life and my life is it creates dissonance. It creates dissonance in your life as you live in a world that says, no, you don't need Jesus. You're fine just the way you are. And so there might be a temptation for some of you to walk completely away from Jesus. And we're going to talk more about that next week. There might be a temptation for some of you not to walk completely away from Jesus, but to diversify your deities, to give glory to other people and things in addition to Jesus. There might be a temptation for some of you to settle down, be satisfied with what you know, how you're living, kind of just stop right there, instead of striving to move forward, to become more and more and more like your Savior King. Perhaps this is pressing in on following Christ that would cause you to change too much or to sever ties with your old way of living more than you're willing to. Jesus, perhaps then, has become an unimportant part of your life, but he isn't the center of your whole life. But don't be deceived. You cannot half follow someone going this way when your flesh and the world are going this way. It's not possible. As one scholar says, the things of God require more than a nodding acquaintance. Was that you this morning? Are you fine having your ears tickled with what you want to hear, but not necessarily what you need to hear? Taking what you like, discarding what you don't? Are you dull of hearing? Are you fine sipping milk? See, when you start down this road of regression and stagnation, it reveals a deeper issue. It's deeper than a lack of understanding. It's deeper than a lack of knowledge. Because, see, the mind is often not ready to digest what the heart finds unpalatable. Let me say that again. The mind is often not ready to digest what the heart finds unpalatable. What that means, then, is that a dullness of hearing is really a dullness of heart. Because there's a strong connection between your mind and your heart. 
There's a strong connection between the two with the mind you think and you know. You listen and you learn and you gain knowledge of who God is and the life He calls you to. But it's from your heart that you live that out. The heart is the center of who you are. It's where the motivational structures of your life reside. So you can have a whole lot of information up here, but not see it materialize in your heart to affect the way that you live. So dullness of hearing is really about selective hearing. It's not that you can't hear, but that you choose not to listen and take seriously the call of Christ on your whole life. For these Jewish Christians, it might have been acting as if Jesus and his ways aren't better than their old ways of life and the the law that they were under. What's implied is a lack of responsiveness to the daily application of the gospel. An unwillingness to probe deeper into the implications of their commitment to Christ. To growing and responding with faith and obedience. Instead of going out to tell other people about Jesus, they were retreating back. Instead of helping one another grow in and up into Christ, they're satisfied with keeping silent keeping to themselves. Perhaps it was because they were confronted with the very real reality that all of us face that a life with Jesus might mean the loss of worldly comfort. It might mean the loss of relationships. It might even mean the loss of your very life and they just weren't sure they were willing to give those things up. Brothers and sisters, the same is true for us today. There are pressures without and pressures within to give head nods to Jesus and to continue living the way that we want. As if you don't know. As if Jesus hasn't told you what he demands of you. What he demands of you in your workplace. What if he demands of you in your relationships, whether it be a dating relationship or a marriage or your parenting or just friendships. As if he hasn't told us what he demands of our sexuality and our finances, of all of these things. Because he's sojourned. Jesus is not the king of suggestions. He's the king of creation. He's the Lord of your life. So let's not keep sipping milk when there's a glorious meal of solid food that awaits us. Solid food is for the mature, verse 14 says. So what does spiritual maturity look like then? This leads to our third point, maturity. We see this in verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. If milk is teaching someone what it means to know and follow Jesus, solid food is about teaching people how to think and live in light of Jesus. Live out the implications of the gospel in our lives. Because when you meet Jesus, it changes everything. But we have to constantly be growing in how that plays out in our lives because our lives are constantly changing. You're moving in life stage. You're getting older. You're encountering new obstacles and difficulties and challenges. The world around us is constantly changing. So we have to be constantly growing and learning what it looks like to follow Jesus in those moments. Now, verse 14 gives us a great definition of what it means to be spiritually mature. He says, solid food is for the mature. And who are the mature? They're those who have their power of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. 
This means that being mature, eating solid food, is not about subscribing to religion. Being mature is not about following more rules. It's not about being a part of a Christian subculture. Being spiritually mature is about knowing and following Jesus and walking closely with your Savior in all of your life. Because the reality is you and I every single day face hundreds of little decisions. Throughout our whole lives we face thousands upon thousands of decisions that the Bible does not speak explicitly to. But when we're growing in our knowledge of God, when you're growing in your knowledge of God, when you're growing in His will, when you're growing in understanding His ways, when you're growing in His glory, you grow in godly discernment. To distinguish between what is good and glorifying to Him and what is evil and glory stealing. And all of that comes from godly wisdom. God gives us His word for us to study and see. This is a, a book about God, about life and relationship with Him. And so He gives us His Word to understand that. He gives us His Spirit. You might be indwelt by His Holy Spirit, filled by His Spirit, attentive to His Spirit. We can pray to God through the power of the Spirit to understand what He's calling us to. And He gives us His people, a community of wisdom that you have brothers and sisters around you, sitting around you even right now this morning, Maybe in your community group throughout the week, people that are filled with the Spirit along with you, that have godly wisdom, that maybe have walked a little bit further than you, that you can share your life with and ask, hey, I'm not sure if I'm spending my money in a way that's honoring to Christ. I don't know if I should take this job or not. I don't know if I should move to this place or not. I don't know if I should date this person or not. All of those people around you that can help you with godly wisdom to understand what a life with Christ looks like. So then, when you encounter anything and ask, what does this mean? What should I do? What is most glorifying to God? If you're feasting on the gospel, if you're a person of God's word, if you're striving to live out the implications of it in your life, if you are living in community, if you are attentive to the Spirit, that question becomes easier and easier and easier to answer. In college, a friend of ours named Jen well, she'd have a big test or a big paper to write coming up. And so to stay awake, to stay focused on that, she would go to Mill Mountain Coffee on Main Street in Blacksburg, and she'd order a large black coffee. And at that point in time, I wasn't really drinking coffee. If I did, it was usually a caramel latte, which is like, that's not really coffee. Sorry for those of you that drink it. So that seemed hardcore to us. She's got this big old cup of black coffee uh, until we actually saw her drink it. She would take that large cup of black coffee, she would pinch her nose, and she would chug the whole cup of coffee. Because she actually hated coffee. She thought it was disgusting, but she thought that she needed it in order to help her to get through her schoolwork. Now listen, coffee's not solid food, I know. But eating solid spiritual food, growing in your knowledge of God and His ways, is not force-feeding you. It's not causing you to, to eat something, to ingest something you don't like. It's not shoving it down your throat, hoping you don't gag on it. Making yourself do it. See, in all of this, I don't want you to walk out of here feeling guilty or feeling shameful because you're not growing in a relationship with Jesus. What I hope this does for you this morning is, is help you to see, man, I'm missing out. I'm missing out on the gloriousness of Christ. I'm missing out on the life, the resurrection life he's called me to. 
That we would see this as a beautiful thing, a glorious thing to delight in God and His Word. This isn't about shame on you. If anything, I hope it produces godly grief in your life. That you shake off the dust of disenchantment that might be in your life right now to help you see that you want more of Him and more of the life He has for you. Walking with Him in His kingdom. Notice what verse 14 says. Moving on from milk to maturity doesn't just happen. It comes by way of training through constant practice. As one scholar says, spiritual maturity comes neither from isolated events nor from a great spiritual burst. It comes from a steady application, application of spiritual discipline. Or as one philosopher says, grace is opposed to earning not opposed to effort. God has given us means of grace. He's given us gifts, things that we can use in our life to strengthen our love for Jesus, to strengthen our hatred for sin, to increase our practice of faith and repentance. He's given us his word, his living and active word that we've talked about that gives us understanding of who God is and what life with him looks like. He's given us prayer. We can actually communicate with the living God Talk to him, hear from him through his word and through prayer. He's given us community, a a room full of people to be in relationship with. He's given us communion that we get to take every week to remind us of the gospel. The fact that you cannot earn favor with God, he's given it freely to you in Jesus. He's given you this gathering of people. When you're struggling in your faith, there's brothers and sisters around you that are full of faith, that are singing for you when you can't sing for yourself. He's given us giving to allow us to use our resources and our time and our abilities to serve him and make much of him. He's given us serving. He's given us singing. He's given us solitude and silence just to be present with him and nothing else bothering us. He's given us both fasting and feasting. All of these things he gives to us to teach us, to guide us, to draw us closer to him and to his people. And through all of those things to conform us more and more to the image of his son, our Savior, King Jesus. It's when we pursue these things, these gifts out of joy, that we have the mind of Christ. That we're able to take every thought captive to obey Jesus. It equips us not to have all the answers, but to think rightly and redemptively about all of life. It changes everything. It shapes everything. How we use our time. What entertainment we partake of. How we spend or use our money. How we relate to other people. And when we don't do these things, we struggle. We struggle to discern between the Spirit of God and the Spirit of this age. We're tossed to and fro. We become weak and wishy-washy when it comes to our convictions and our calling. And things like politics and preferences rule and reign over our allegiance to King Jesus and his kingdom. Sojourn, we must be people of maturity. But spiritual maturity and what the author is calling us to is not mere head knowledge. This is not about head knowledge that's disconnected from heart knowledge. As one pastor says, the pathway to maturity And the solid biblical food is not first becoming an intelligent person, but becoming an obedient person. 
What you do with alcohol and sex and money and leisure and food and technology have more to do with your capacity for solid spiritual food than where you go to school or what books you read. He goes on to say there are many PhDs who choke in their spiritual immaturity on the things of God. And there are many less educated saints who are deeply mature and can feed with pleasure and profit on the deepest things of God's word. And man, I've seen this over and over again. Men who can quote the catechism, who can parse Greek words, who can wax eloquently about theological and philosophical topics, but who do not know or love the least in the lost who are not walking in holiness. Then I've seen men like Amy's grandfather. His name is Frank. He just passed away recently. A man who didn't have more than a seventh grade education, but who loved Jesus and loved his word, who led people to Christ, who discipled men to walk faithfully with him, who was a fierce man of prayer. I will tell you, I would rather have one Frank Wilson in this church than a hundred men who have a head full of knowledge that's disconnected from their heart. Oh, that we would be mature men and women who don't just know a lot of things about God, but who know God deeply, who love him and love others more than we love ourselves. Man, that I would be that kind of man. This is where every true believer should be or moving towards as we daily walk with Jesus, as we're attentive to his spirit, holding fast to him, moving from milk to maturity. Which leads us to our last point, movement. We see this in verses 1 through 3. Let me read them again quickly for us. He says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. The author doesn't just leave them in an admonition. He gives them a way forward. Notice what he says. He says, let us leave and let us go. Let us leave elementary doctrines. Let us go to maturity. He's calling them to movement. Movement out of stagnation. Movement from milk to maturity. Not laying again a foundation of repentance and faith. Of things like baptisms and washings. Of laying on of hands. Of the resurrection that will come. And the judgment before Christ. All of these are important things. These are critical things. These are foundational things. And just like the foundation of a building, they're not, they're not unimportant. They're not discarded. They're just meant to be built upon. So laying again a foundation implies that that foundation is being torn down over and over again. And they're having to start over and over again. Instead of building upon who Christ is and moving to the deep things of God. What the author is not saying is that we move on from the gospel. As Tim Keller has said, a pastor in New York City, the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian life, but the A to Z of the Christian life. In other words, leaving elementary doctrines of Christ behind doesn't mean we leave the gospel behind. Quite the contrary. It means we see the gospel pressed deeper into our hearts, deeper into our lives, deeper into our minds. Where it affects everything we think, everything we say and do. 
where our affections are drawn away from the things of this world and placed more fully on Jesus, where Christ is really Lord over all. This can happen by His grace and the empowerment of His Spirit. There's a spiritual partnership in growing to maturity in Christ. Galatians chapter 5 calls us both to walk by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. This isn't something you just do on your own. You need God's help and God's grace. The reality is, you're in danger when God's word is unengaged or dismissed as suggestion. You're in danger when community is seen as unnecessary or not pursued. You're in danger when Christ is a word in your mouth, but not the Lord of your life. Again, this isn't about guilt, but conviction to move you out of complacency. So where might you be struggling right now to move from milk to maturity? Growth is a lifelong journey. Growth to maturity is a lifelong journey. This is about movement forward, not arrival. To be daily conformed to the image of Christ more and more. What that means is that every single person has room to continue to grow in their journey with Jesus. All of us. So are you moving that way? Are you moving that way? Or has the gospel and its implications become white noise for you? Are you hearing but not listening? A good way to figure that out, to start to assess that in your own life, is what shapes your thinking and believing the most. Is it Christ and his word, or is it something else? In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says, Him we proclaim, Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy, that he powerfully works within me. And so, that's my, my desire. That's my heart for you and for this church, that God would allow me and any other pastor in this church, any other leader in this church, alongside of you and with you, to present everyone who calls sojourn their church to be mature in Christ. I'm giving my life towards that, and by the power and strength of Christ working in me and through me, I'm doing that. Will you give your life to that? Helping your brother and sister grow to maturity in Jesus. Sojourn, let's move from milk to maturity together to the glory of God and for the good of one another. We get to come to the table now to have a meal, to eat and drink a solid, spiritually refreshing meal. The bread and the cup being a picture of Christ's body and blood given for us. It's a means of grace to help lead you and move you to maturity as it reminds you that the sovereign, transcendent God of all creation has made himself imminent and personal through his Son, Jesus, to save you and bring you to himself. That reminds you as you eat this meal that even when you don't know what's going on, even when life is challenging, even when you're unsure of the future, that you are fully known and fully loved by the living God, by the King of Ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, the one who alone deserves all glory and honor forever and ever. And so come forward this morning in grace and toward grace today because of what Jesus has accomplished for you. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we would just ask you not to come forward this morning 
Because this meal is a, testi- a testimony to the fact that we are trusting in Jesus. And so if you haven't yet put your faith in Christ, we want to just invite you to hang out in your seat. Pray that God will reveal himself to you. Maybe you're ready to start that relationship with Jesus today. Tell God that. That you want to start following Jesus. You want to know him. That you understand your need for him. And then let somebody else around you know that so we can journey with you in that. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the front or to the back. Tear off a piece of bread and take a small cup to drink. And what Jesus has done purposely for you will be spoken over you today. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I just thank you for your grace. I thank you for your patience with us. That we struggle, that we falter, that we fail over and over again. That we're so easily drawn away from you to the things of this world. That we can regress. And so Lord, I pray simply this, that you would move us out of complacency. That you would move us from milk to maturity. Father, light a fire within us. Help us to hunger for you, to taste and see that you are good. And then send us out from this place into the world to tell everyone else the same good news that we've believed. We love you. We thank you for your grace. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.